Press play. Curtain up an hour in. It's time to take a spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got on the option? No, oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. 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 Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life in New, New York, York City. City. I am Connor McDowell. And I'm Dylan McDowell, and we are back again with an amazing guest today for drama. But before we jump in, I just want to say that this is usually the time of the year when our family would pack up our car and go on a little road trip to New York City from Cleveland, Ohio. And we'd only have very few things planned, but we we knew we were going to rush some shows, do some lotteries. And the first show we ever rushed was Next to Normal. And my dad and I got up at 4 a.m. and we sat outside the theater. And what followed was the most transcendent theater experience of our lives, I could say. I remember that. I remember also that we would, we would like watch the Tonys. We decide kind of what we wanted to see. And then we go to the city and we, buy t- we wouldn't buy tickets to anything. We would just hope that we could go to TKTS or win. the. We would even try to just win the lottery. Risky, so risky. So risky, because if we lost, we would be missing out. But I remember we did win the lottery for In the Heights and If Then. Yeah. If Then, same theater. Yeah. Interesting. We must have good luck there. But But um, thankfully, when we saw Next to Normal, we were able to get there at like four in the morning. And it was like an early, early rise. And we saw today's guest. So I'm just going to jump right in and and introduce her. All right. Our guest today is the winner of the 2009 Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical for her performance as Diana Goodman in the Pulitzer Prize-winning Broadway musical, Next to Normal. Having made her Broadway debut in The Who's Tommy, she went on to star in Sunset Boulevard, King David, Les Miserables, The Rocky Horror Show, James Joyce's The Dead, and American Psycho. Our guest also made history when she received Tony and Drama Desk Award nominations for her portrayal of conjoined twin Violet Hilton in Sideshow. In addition to reprising her acclaimed role in Next to Normal on tour across the country, our guest leads the band Ripley, as well as records as a solo artist, having released three albums. She is decorated for her work in the feature films Bear With Us and Sugar, and has appeared on TV in Blue Bloods, Royal Pains, 30 Rock, and Girl Boss on Netflix. The credits, there's too many to mention. She is a bona fide superstar, actress, singer, and songwriter. She is the talented Ms. Ripley. Please welcome to drama, Alice, Alice Ripley. Ripley. Oh my goodness, what an introduction. Thank you so much. That's very sweet. Of course. And very accurate, I have to say. Very accurate. Sometimes there are some mistakes in there. I have to point them out. And we don't like <laughs> to do that. But that was good. Good job. Oh, thank you. We are so honored that you want to have a chat with us today. I'm happy to. It's a, what day is it? Wednesday? I think yes. so. Okay. Well, it's Wednesday morning. It's, it's before 11, which means it is officially morning. Mm-hmm. Still. Absolutely. Right? So, but it's a civilized time. So maybe, maybe this is the best time to have a chat. I, I think, think so. so. No. <laughs> Alice, are you well? Yeah, I feel great today. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's up and down every day, isn't it, with this situation that we're in? Absolutely. So you, decide to, you decide to make it a great day somehow. Somehow. 
<laughs> I know it's it's been how many months of this now, and it's five months. It's hard to like, yeah, it's five. crazy. I remember actually one of the last things that Connor and I did before everything shut down was we saw your show at Fifty Four Below. Oh your my mo- gosh! Your most and, recent show, and that was um, that was my last. That was the well, the last gig in the city for sure. And I felt like I was really lucky to squeeze in a a Feinstein's 54 Below gig right before the world shut down. It was what we needed. The music was just phenomenal. Oh my God. You sang this, the whole room just froze, specifically when you sang My Funny Valentine. It was Christopher and me, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, it it was. was. That's who was there. Uh, Yeah, we were, that was a new show. Broadway to radio. That's right. Right? Um, yes. Oh, good. Well, My Funny Valentine is one of my favorites. I, I've done that. I've been in that show twice, Babes in Arms. Oh. One time I played Jenny, who's the ingenue. And the other time I played, I think her name's Billy. The, the lady is a tramp type of late character. <laughs> that's not the song, but like that's the kind of character, you know? Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Her name's well, Billy. You- I love that. You've played such a, a wide range of roles too. I feel like you can, you're so versatile with what you can do. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad. I mean, I always want to take on what I'm drawn to and I'm tend to, I, I tend to be drawn to lots of different kinds of stories. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I hope that, that nothing will get in the way. I mean, you also don't want to, uh, put yourself in something you're not right for yet or not right for ever. So it's always a, a, a game that you play with the work that you decide to commit yourself to. Oh, I can imagine. Um, so going back to the very beginning of your career, um, I know that you're also, you're from Ohio, correct? Well, that's where I grew up. My formative years and my college years. Yeah. That's Ohio. right. And okay. my family's still, like my family's all from Ohio. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, yeah. So we, we like to talk about a ring of keys moment on drama, which is this, it's based on Fun Home, but it's that moment when you realized that a life in the arts was going to be something you might pursue. Would you say you had a moment like that? Maybe it was in Ohio? Well, you know, uh, honestly, the answer to that question for me, it's not always as exciting as you want it to be because there wasn't really a moment when I was like, I know, I know what I'm going to do. I kind of always knew. I always knew. So what happened were these moments where you are supported and, and underscored and encouraged and heartened by what you see and what you experience while you're watching something on stage and then what that does to your heart. You know those butterflies that you get and it takes your breath away when you have that moment, I can do that. I can do that. I think I can do that. There were two moments and they were both in Ohio. <laughs> but, but when these two moments happened you know, they were separate from each other. I, I already knew uh, what I wasn't going to do. And mm. it was everything except this. <laughs> oh, I love that. You know what I mean? And then it became, and then when you get to be about eight or nine, you might, I think that was when I started to notice that when I sang, people would stop what they were doing and the room would get quiet, you know, and they would want to hear me sing. So even though I didn't, know what business was or what it was to be an actor was or the life of an artist or any of that. 
I just knew that I wanted to sing and have people pay attention to me while I do it. So when I went to see one of the, one of the two moments, I think, that are equally, that had an equal impact on me as far as what you're asking about, Dylan. Um, <laughs> first of all would be, well, chronologic. The first thing would be, I remember being at this, like, it was like a brown derby type restaurant at the mall with my mom. It might have been called the Grog Shop, <laughs> but we were actually in the, in the middle of the day, we were having lunch and there was, a, I think it was maybe a Sunday, and there was a guy there set up playing a brunch type set there in the restaurant. So we had a keyboard and a speaker. And to me, he looked like really professional. You're like, wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he, I remember this was the, what you're talking about. And I love the story because it's kind of corny. <laughs> and I love it because of that. Because he was playing his keyboard and he was singing and playing. Don't go changing to try and please me. Never let me down before. That Billy Joel song, Just yeah. the Way You Are. And I remember just sitting there enjoying it, which means you must have been good because, you know, when something's a clam, even when you're a kid, you can hear it. So it must have been <laughs> sounding pretty good. I just remember thinking, wow, that guy's job is to do that. That was a moment going, I could totally oh. pull this off. I mean, I could pull, and I was like 10 or something at the time. I'm thinking I could, maybe I wasn't that young, but I was not yet in high school. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. When I had this moment at that particular place, I remember specifically my 14th birthday. Um, it's funny how I don't remember what age I was when I was at the grog shop. Let's say it was around the same year as this. Let's say I was 13. Okay. Okay. I'd say eight, nine, ten is when you start to realize I might have some fuel here to get where I want to go. I don't know where that is yet, but it's out of this place, that's for sure, <laughs> wherever you happen to be going, help, and your art <laughs> wants to take you there, whatever you feel like your art is. I think that is like that little butterfly in your sternum that you get when you hear somebody sing something and you get that feeling, I can do that, I can do that. Give me my chance to come through. Um, so the other moment that's worth mentioning is, is on my 14th birthday when my, uh, a family member took me to see Jacques Brel is alive and well and living in Paris at the Cleveland Playhouse. And there's a yes. whole big story about that production in and of itself because that production saved the Playhouse from being mm -hmm. bulldozed. Can you imagine? How much we would have missed if the Playhouse would have been bulldozed back in 76, I think it was, or 77, something like that. So this production was one of those things where they had shut down the working theaters. They weren't using them, and basically they couldn't afford to. So they didn't right. really have a season. But John, Jack Geary, John Geary, I, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, who, who, whose brainchild, he was, this was his brainchild, to stage Jacques Brel's Alive and Well Living in Paris blah, 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 in <laughs> the lobby of the Cleveland Playhouse, of Playhouse right. Square. And it was supposed to just run for 12 weeks, and it ran for two years. It was one of those shows. You know what it takes to make that happen? To wow. be a, a sensation, to be a thing. You're supposed to run for 12 weeks in a place like Cleveland, and you run for two years, and then the show saves Playhouse Square most most literally saves it 
Well, mm-hmm. it didn't sweep in with the cape around its neck and <laughs> and cradle it in its arms, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It saved it from being bulldozed. So I, I think that's a great story that that was the show that I saw in the lobby. Of, you know, I didn't know what, was, what it was what it was about. I didn't know how what was happening at the moment. I was just being blown away by the show Jacques Brel is Alive Well and Living in Paris, <laughs> by the music, by the uh, performances. It was the tour, or it was the the show originated in, in Cleveland, so it was some of the original um, mm-hmm. um, had come back to do it. So, I mean, I think there's some truth in there somewhere. It was close to the original production. Somehow somebody was attached to it. Because the show was was on Broadway, is that true? I better get my facts straight. <laughs> okay, well, you can cut all that out, We right? can always edit that out. So yeah. I'm sure it was surreal for you to then go back to Playhouse Square in Next to Normal, which we were lucky enough to see a couple times when you were in Cleveland. Yeah. And, uh, oh, good. And I had been there. I had been at Playhouse Square with Les Mis. Okay. With, with Les Miserables in between Sideshow. I mean, in between... Uh, Tommy and Sunset on Broadway. I was on the road with Les Miserables oh, for nine cool. months. And then I did it at the Imperial on Broadway in between Sideshow and The Dead. I think that's true. Okay. That is true. Uh, yeah, see? It's like an encyclopedia <laughs> up here. So sometimes some of the files are missing. I was like, someone's going, going through my papers. <laughs> um, but yeah, Les Mis was my favorite show until I did Carrie. Now they're neck and neck. Oh, oh, yes. Just, I can imagine. I mean, I know they're so different, but not really for me because they touch me in that same place. That same, it's, it's a sacred place uh, where the character is misunderstood to the core and goes to the, to the nth degree to somehow just, you know, re- I guess like um, compensate for that feeling. In Fantine's story, she sells her teeth. That's the last thing she does before she does. She sells her teeth to send money to the Tenardiers. And, and, you know, she thinks she's doing the right thing when maybe there might have, she could have asked for help in a different way or, mm-hmm. I don't know. There are things that she could have maybe done differently. It's great to look at your characters so they're not complete victims. And then Margaret White um, in Carrie, you know, she really thinks she's doing the right thing too when she kills Carrie at the end. Sorry, that's a spoiler, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, those, those two characters are, I don't know. What, did you ask about Les Mis? Did you ask about um, It, it yeah. just came up naturally, but you know, I would love to see you in Carrie. I feel like that, we haven't seen the last of Carrie in the city. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I feel like, First of all, is it is it okay? I guess it's okay to say this. A woman should definitely, a female team needs to produce the show from beginning to end. Mm. Especially a director needs to be the one to put the show up the next time it happens. Because it's about the divine feminine and also like the anti-divine feminine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and... I don't know, a subject like some of this, you know, the bloody subjects they cover and carry, people don't really know how to talk about it. So it's got to be told just right. I think but I think right. that the, the story is just to be defined in a theatrical production, right? Yeah. Because you're right, it is. It's about, it's about 
a girl and how female influences in her life are really the most impactful ones, you know, between her mother, her teacher, the other girls at school. Yeah, I, that's true. The story focuses on that. And, and I think this, the story is about shame that's particularly feminine and how different the different characters view that. It's, he's kind of the anti-hero, the, the football, what's his name? The, the football hero guy who, he gives up going to the prom with his real girlfriend so he can take Carrie. Tommy. I mean, he really is, you know, it's really awful when he perishes like everybody else because you want to believe it's somebody that good because he feels really good. He doesn't have an evil streak. Not really. Yeah. Because his girl, his, his girlfriend, um, not Chris, uh, his girlfriend, Tommy's girlfriend, Carrie's friend who feels sorry for her. She still could have like some kind of motive for herself. But Tommy mm-hmm. is really just like, he actually really likes Carrie, I think. I think so too. I think maybe he falls in love with her, but it's not cool to like her. Right. Which is really sad. Maybe that's his flaw because there's always a fatal flaw. But the story mm-hmm. is, is about that, how everybody sees a female, the female shame factor like how they see it how they deal with it and themselves and other people and i think it's a really worthy story and it's told in this heightened horror movie is what it is like mm-hmm. a horror story it really is inside of all uh, there's this there's this human story inside of this horror story format so it might lend itself to a a movie a musical movie because of that because you can heighten mm. the you can heighten things Although, you know, maybe it just needs to be tweaked a little bit with CGI, that's all, you know. (laughs) Live action musical movie is that, like there's so many ways to say it now, I don't know. Right, I know. what that would be. Let's make it happen, you guys. I know, all right. (laughs) Let's do it. Dylan and I will help produce, but we do need to make sure there's a whole female creative team here. Yes, yes. I'm happy to talk about Carrie for, you know, the entire 20 minutes, you guys. (laughs) I think it's a really interesting subject and something that I don't want it to die down. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I really wasn't trying to be funny because the end of the movie is <laughs> Carrie reaching through the grave to grab onto what's her girl I'll figure it out her name um, yeah I, I can't remember. think of it but it's got that ongoing like chain thing like the horror you know it's like you're in purgatory or something it never ends mm-hmm. like, that's the idea of Carrie and uh, there's a cycle to being a woman it does end at some point you can take it from me <laughs> But, you know, but when you're in it, you feel like it's, you feel like it rules your life, the cycle. um, I don't know. I think all of that's really interesting. But Margaret White is, is what an, what an intense character. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm glad she's not on stage as much as Diana Goodman or that show would be as hard to do as next to normal. You know, it takes a toll on your, your thing, your mojo. (laughs) Because we live in the real world. Yeah. 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 And you did Next to Normal for like three years cumulatively, would you say? I'd say about four, you know, um, almost four years um, on and off in the beginning because I was uh, living in Los Angeles and commuting, commuting back and forth to do workshops for Feeling okay. Electric before yes. it became Next to Normal. But by the time we got into production, it was um, about almost three years. Okay. That stretch, just about three years playing the role. Wow. Yeah, because I played her in the three different theaters in one calendar year where we were off Broadway 
out of town and then on Broadway in the same 12 months, which has never happened before or since, I think. Again, Alice, check your facts. I need to be, I need to have a laptop <laughs> and Wi-Fi so I can check, like do what the pros do and like what you guys are doing, like check it before I say it and make sure it's right. <laughs> Um, right, because it was that second stage first, and then it went out of town to arena stage. And it was stage. really just, it was like one of those shows, it, it, it's not, it's just the end of the run. You know, you have a six-week run, and it's over. It's a, it's, a, it's a premiere of a new show, and it goes on. Next time, it's done over in San Francisco or whatever, you know, a couple mm-hmm. years later when they get some more money together or whatever. Well, this time around, David Stone and, and everybody involved – um, our producer and the writers, Tom and Brian. After our show at Second Stage, it was clear to everybody that this is like we have like three different sections of three different shows. Like, and we only need two sections and they have to be the same show. Like, how do we make this happen? And, and, de- and those guys decided right away that they were going to go for it and to keep working on it and not just say, well, our run's over, we're happy, we're going to rest for a while. Because it's quite an accomplishment just to get your new show up on a stage like second stage, especially. Um, but the show was not, it just wasn't working. The tone, there's no, there was no precedent for the tone that Next to Normal created that now people are happily, um, you know, utilizing right. that tone of how to present the dysfunctional family in a way that's got a sense of humor, but it cuts you to the core like nothing ever has about mental illness. In that where, you know, the mental, the people, the mentally ill, the people who are, who struggle with this, they come, they come up to me after, they came up to me after Next to Normal and say, you know, write letters and they say, thank you so much for, for presenting my story with such respect and love and full comprehension, mm-hmm. which is funny because, you know, Diana Goodman is, is less like Alice Ripley than any character I've played. She's not, we're not anything alike. And so, you know, it was like when people thought I was Emily Skinner, some people still think I am. I think it's a compliment. <laughs> you know, they think I'm Diana. I, I have to say it's a compliment because I'm, I'm more like Norma Desmond. I mean, she's Violet Hilton and Norma Desmond, like combination of those two. That's Alice Ripley. But <laughs> if you look at Diana Goodman on paper, we're nothing alike because she has two kids. She lives in a house in the suburbs. She's an architect. She kept, tries to kill herself several times, including slitting her wrists. Um, she's lost a child. Did, need I go on? I'm yeah. like Norma Desmond. I live alone. I wear my sunglasses inside. I want to be a star at all costs. <laughs> it's all about me. I have a guy in the, it's a subject, in the picture, but he's on the periphery somewhere. And nobody knows what the hell's going on with that. He was in the shadows. It's like, that's me and Norma Desmond. So I think it's a compliment, but, but playing, playing Diana Goodman took its toll on, and it does take its toll on anybody who plays her. And I actually know now, I thought it was all about me, of course. Everybody experiencing the show when they do it goes through trauma because mm. you're creating it and it's real. So anyway, let me talk about me a little bit more, but um, <laughs> no, yeah, but that's what we're here for. Normal was, you know, uh, definitely uh, it was really powerful. It was maybe more powerful than anybody knew that it was going to be. It's just when we were doing the workshops, which lasted about almost a couple, like a year and a half for us, like we did four of them, I think, different casts. People would shift around, songs would change, things would just disappear, and new stuff would appear. 
Mm. Uh, every time we did it, no matter what incarnation it was, and, and, and we had not gotten the tone right. We didn't get the tone right until we got to the, the arena mm. in DC, which mm-hmm. is right before we came to Broadway. But uh, so it was a constant reevaluation and constant editing process. But every time we did the workshop in, in those, that, those first few months, the audience would just, they were melt every single, every single person in one of those seats in the backers auditions, which is what we used to call them, was just a puddle of tears. And like half of them looked shocked that this is happening to them. <laughs> like they mm. had never felt this way in public before. I mean, it really, you know, so we didn't know that that was going to do that to the audience. But after a while, I started to see that every audience, every audience was doing it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Not because somebody told them that they should, but right. just, nobody knew it was going to hit you like that. So that was really exciting. Thanks it's for letting funny me you, chat about that a little bit. Oh my goodness. We, we love <laughs> Next to Normal. It's funny you mention people coming up to you after the show because we were talking to our parents about how we, in, talking to you today and that when we saw you in Next to Normal, it was the first time they ever spoke to someone on the other side of the stage door line because, you know, our family like. Oh. Most families have mental illness and we have some bipolar and schizophrenia in our family. And my, my dad in particular and my mom were choked up talking to you about how it hit close to home. And they remember everything that you said and how wonderful you were with them. So thank you for that impact that you had. And you just looked them straight in the eyes and you said something along the lines of, yeah, one in five families have the, have deal with this. So you you gave some statistics. One in, they say one in five, but I think that it's based on my experience and stories I heard at the stage door. I, you know, I think it's it's one in three. I wouldn't be surprised. Chances that you know somebody who's mm-hmm. being affected by it, because the thing is, your first your first instinct is to go is to feel sorry for them because because it is painful and limiting. Mm-hmm. To a degree, and you know what that degree is is very personal. And I mean, the thing that next to normal did, I think, is associate real pain with with emotional trauma. Like it's like physical pain, but it's emotional. And we're taught to be strong, and it doesn't show. And other people want to keep you keep mm-hmm. you in your little place. And you want to stay there, you know, um, but at, whether it's whether it's suppressed or whether it's explosive all the time, you know, what I've learned is that it's a uh, it's very painful and it's really hard to get through. And you need you need a lot of support when there's that kind of house, you know, that kind of story going on in your household or that kind mm-hmm. of a challenge, however you want to look at it, an upset. I mean, sometimes it's just really upsetting and there's no way to get around it. It's kind of like when you take a bandage off of something, mm-hmm. it looks mm-hmm. like before it's fully, I mean, really, <laughs> but, but because I'm just making this up, but maybe, you know, the, the language of, of pain is, is what you say when you're feeling this way, whatever mm-hmm. it is that puts you in a really precarious position because other people are hiding too. And you get these right. triggers everywhere. So, so it's, it's, it almost seems like it's inevitable 
if you want to heal, you have to get worse before it gets better. And then it takes um, a great deal of support. And then a show like Next to Normal for its subject matter or a show like Carrie for the subject matter of feminine shame, female shame, um, it need those, they need a lot of support. And I'm not sure that musical theater has very many or any other female characters who are presented like Diana Goodman, who is a fully, I mean, you know, I don't like lay with prone with, with my, like this you know, <laughs> to the audience with my legs on the either side. I'm not doing that physically, but emotionally and soulfully the character is doing it. It's like you get to see every side of her inside and out. And a female character doesn't usually, isn't usually presented like that, especially in musical theater. And so that kind of, she set a precedent, Diana. Oh, yeah. I think that's maybe why it won the Pulitzer because of the way it handled the subject matter, but also the character of Diana, because you notice it's not about a male character, although next to normal too is going to be about Dan Goodman. <laughs> Definitely. We get that at because the end. Because he's more screwed yeah. up than Diana is. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when he agrees to start him. talking to someone at the end. Yeah. Oh, God. Right. I'm so glad you see that, Dylan, because like mm-hmm. he finally says his name out loud. And, mm-hmm. and he finally, you finally see that Dan is the, is, is the first domino that starts to fall. Because mm-hmm. Diana finally says, I have to leave or I am going to die. I hope everybody who's listening to this has seen next to normal. <laughs> I know, right? And then I do, she actually leaves. I had people in the audience saying, I just am so mad at you for leaving Dan. How could you leave him? And I'd be like, first of all, um, that's a character I play. And thank you. <laughs> Second of all, thank you. Um, I, I have to leave because if I don't, I'm not going to be there for my daughter. I'm not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, my daughter is more important if I have to choose between the two more important than, than my marriage because Dan needs more help than Natalie does. Like, you know, Dan is really, really compressed and I have so much compassion for him. You know, he just wants to keep Diana, keep her cool, just keep her cool at all costs. Let's, let's get always. through this, you know, and Dan, I always see him wearing a striped shirt. He's the bank, you know, he's the guy you can't count on. And so I loved Asa. I love all my Dan's, but Asa Summers was one of my f- personal favorites are Hugh Jackman. If you want to do the movie with me, um, <laughs> because I imagine like your, your head goes right between, right at his shoulder at his clavicle. And he puts his arms around you and they go around your, like right around your, like, you know, you just completely, if Dan, you lean on him, he's the bank, but mm-hmm. it's not real. So <laughs> yeah. Wow. Jeez, Al, that was too much. <laughs> it is seriously one of the best musicals of all time. I think, Every song is so well written for every single character. I mean, even when you're talking about Diana leaving Dan in her song, so anyway, she perfectly explains why she has to go. So I I understand why audiences would probably be upset, but she really explains it. You know, that clarity, that is so great. That's so great, Connor, because that kind of clarity coming through a, a, a character on stage, it's so easy to take that for granted. As that, that, that somebody already knows that, that an actual human would ever get to that place after what Diana's been through. That's why she's a hero. That's why she's a heroine. That's why she's this heroic <laughs> character because she didn't perish. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, oh, so I have chills. Words. She just keeps, and so 
but the it's just so beautiful because the illusion continues even on onto the conversation in the stage door. The illusion that Diana's real. Diana's not real. If she were real, we would have no fuck, no screwed up relationships between mothers and daughters <laughs> ever anywhere. Mm-hmm. Because by the time they got to be where the mother's forty and the daughter's like eighteen, they would figure it out every time. But most people aren't like Diana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why she's this incredible character. They're like. Oh, Look how it can be. And thanks for letting me chat about this because the end of the end, the maybe the song that, that Diana sings with, with Natalie, mm. you know, when they put, when the guys put that song in the show, I was like, okay. Cause they had like eight different songs that went in there, you know, eight different ways to try to come to terms with the relationship at the end. I was like, okay, it's done. The show's done now. And now I know, I think they put that in for the DC show yeah and i thought to myself now i know what the show's about it's not about Mm -hmm. diana it's about natalie and diana and at that when when they sing maybe together diana says what every daughter wants her mother to say to her because everything's relative you guys you know somebody else somebody's hell is somebody else's like you think that's hell you should have heard what i went through and rightly so but you know, you didn't, you weren't in the same household. You had your own separate hells and you're allowed to think of it that way. So mm-hmm. that's what I think. And so every mother, every daughter, every mother wants her mother. Every daughter wants her mother. To, you know, it's, it's that line. Mm-hmm. Every mother of a daughter wants her mother to say what Diana says to her at the end about, you know, look, you know, maybe I screwed up, but I love you and I will never leave you basically. I will never leave you. I will never go away. You got to chime in with something at least light. Oh my goodness. It's so intense sometimes. Alice, listen, the, not to switch too much to sideshow, but as a twin, it is almost, and especially for having a twin relationship as close as Dylan and I have, I cannot really immerse myself in sideshow. It's, this is maybe my dose of drama, but it is like almost too emotional for me to hear oh a song God. like I Will Never Leave You. Like I, for real, it's, and especially when you and Emily are singing it. The I mean, come on. The first verse of I Will Never Leave You, you know, to me, Bill and Henry, everything they write is perfect. Oh yeah. It's just how it is with me. But it doesn't get any more perfect than the beginning of that song as far as how they match up together and how that hooks into the core of, of, the, that feeling, everybody knows that feeling sitting by the window. Why are you looking out the window, first of all? You know, why? whoever's singing, I will never leave you. Mm-hmm. We, we're, we're peeking over the windowsill. Well, Daisy and Violet always had each other. Okay, so there's your number one hook, Connor. <laughs> you do always have him. Uh-huh. What if you ever lost him? And it's funny because... She, well, the last time I checked, you don't have a fleshy link. You're not actually physically connected, <laughs> if you ever were. But I don't want to act like I know everything. <laughs> we were not. But, the, you know, Sorry. that song, I Will Never Leave You, is it's we make fun of it because people go, well, duh, they're connected. But it's, I know, but go a little bit deeper because, and, and that is where you hook into that, oh, it's going to make me cry so soon, is that uh-huh. feeling of, you know, I don't care what you did for better or worse, actually. So don't, don't take advantage of this. <laughs> Go on a, a serial killing spree because I'll still have to love you. Okay? Uh-huh. I'll still have to visit you and do that. Don't do that to me. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, no matter what you did, I would never stop loving you in here. I would never put a guard against you like we sometimes do with people. 
Mm -hmm. But I've learned another little side note is that uh, you can't keep your heart a little bit closed. It's either closed or open. Mm -hmm. So if it feels a little closed, hmm, that's when Alice and Alice has to do some homework at that point. <laughs> but you know what I mean, Connor? It's the first begin the beginning of that song goes um, if we stood on our tiptoes, we could peek over the sill. And once in a while, we would see a girl slowly walking up a hill. And you immediately go, even if you're not a girl, you're like, I know what that's like to see somebody walking by themselves and go, I wish I could help them. Why do I feel sorry for them right now? Maybe they're completely happy. Yes. <laughs> or yes. any take or any of the recipe combination of the take mm -hmm. that you would like on that. Like your perspective could be from one of the twins, maybe one of the twins, but one of the twins isn't there. Maybe that's your twin that's walking away from you. You know, so many different ways to get melancholy about the beginning of yeah. that song. <laughs> and that's why I think it's just perfect because Henry sets up this, this, melody that's this sure thing it's never going to fail and then bill just paints little beautiful wings on it and takes you right into the center of what the character's feeling at that moment but they're talking about something that they're remembering mm -hmm. that always made them feel like they would always be connected because they both with daisy and violet there were those moments where they would both get an idea at the same time or they would both move at the same time, but it was very rare. Most of the time, one of them was thinking something and the other was not even aware and actually believed the opposite, you know, or one would start to move and the other one's like, hello, would you tell me next time when you're going to move? Because I was in the middle of, I was like getting something off the bottom of my shoe and then I fell because you didn't say I'm getting up now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a real thing. And so that was something that Emily and I talked about during rehearsal, but um and then you got co-nominated for a Tony Award. What a, what a wild experience that must it have been. Did. It was, uh, you know, <laughs> my dad was like, at that year, Natasha Richardson won for Cabaret. Mm -hmm. And I saw the performance and I, I bawled my eyes out. It was just, it was, it was absolutely stunning, her performance. Like, she was the perfect... She's the only Sally Bowles I've ever seen. <laughs> she was the perfect <laughs> Sally Bowles to me. Yeah. Um, so I have no complaints that she won, but I will say that my dad used to tell people like that was his story from then on until he passed away. It was like, you girls were robbed. <laughs> <laughs> she got up there and made her acceptance speech and told everybody she wasn't even a singer. And that's not fair. That's not right. And musicals as a like, dad, it's okay. Dad. Don't worry, I'll make up for it later, I have a feeling. But, you know, it feels good to, to, it really does feel good to be nominated. I know it's, a, it's a cliche, but it is so true. It is true because you see yourself maybe in a new light and you're in a group, you're, you're included in a group of people. A lot of them are oh, people you've been watching from a distance for years and you love their work and you're awed just to be in their presence. You know, and so it does feel, and it feels better. To, it feels even better to win. <laughs> oh, yeah. Be nominated, but then when you win, it's like, oh, there's a cherry on top. Oh, great. <laughs> I remember you in the blue dress winning for Next to Normal, and you gave a gorgeous speech with a John F. Kennedy quote. And that was just such a triumphant moment. I, I got congrats really on excited that win. And loud. Like I had a, a, a loud explosion just then when I talked about winning because it did feel fun. It did feel good. I felt like maybe. Diana won that for me. Diana said, oh, no, this is mine. Don't worry. Don't <laughs> worry about this for a split second. And she just is like, just think of something to say. 
And it was like, just get yourself up there. Um, it was kind of a, I remember it was tough being there. It was tough doing physically. It was tough doing anything outside of the show. I was always in recovery mode because it felt like physically um, singing a rock show for two and a half hours or playing Super Bowl or doing a boxing match or something like that. Mm. Like you were doing it eight times a week and you never got to sit on the bench. Really, you're never really supposed to do that. You're never supposed to phone it in. Luckily, that's impossible for me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I will probably like, I would probably go on and do the first act and then leave at intermission, which is really embarrassing. Never do that again. You say you'll never do it again. I would do that rather than just like phone it in mm-hmm. or mark it. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> yeah. how, could you mar- how could you mark Diana? If you I mean- couldn't tell. Well, that's the thing, you know, and I don't mean to make fun of anybody including myself but why not but you know diana you can't really sing her like um you don't know i know you don't know you say that you're hurting it sure doesn't show you don't know i mean i'm kind of half making fun of it and it doesn't really sound that bad but you can't sing it like that or it's not Mm going to get it's not going to hit the audience like a giant asteroid which is what it's supposed to hit and it's not supposed to be easy to hear (laughs) yeah yes it's supposed to be a little jarring i mean you don't want the audience ever to be taken out of it and worry about the Mm -hmm. actor or or wonder about one thing or wonder about something else you want them to be carried along in the story and so with rock and roll everything in the show is is like these this dark biting humor that, that's very rock and roll. And then the score takes you into a very a rock. It's obvious that you're just going to see what sticks to the wall, you know, as you just put this emotion, the emotion behind what you're saying, you know, yeah. um, I'm always teaching my, telling my students and trying to listen to myself as I say it to um, keep your emotion out of the breath because this is an instrument and you do have to run up and down the stairs and you are carrying stuff and you do have to Mm -hmm. sustain for three bars and you know, someone is going to look for your cue and all that's happening. So, so you, if your emotion starts to get too carried away, which rock music can do, Mm -hmm. um, then you're in trouble because then you run out of breath and then you have no oxygen and you can't sing. Yeah. <laughs> then yeah. you want to cry for another reason. Yeah. So it's always walking that razor's edge of Diana's razor's edge of, you know, and with Violet too, I remember being on the tunnel of love ride with, with everybody, the four of us. And uh, on one, one point where I had to uh, like sing really high and I was, I was upset. So I could feel like tension created in this part of my mechanism in my throat. You know, I could feel my larynx rising, but then you just go, alert 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 and everything else shuts down as you go just Mm. relax and keep your breath open as you go through this passage now you're just alice just singing you know um i i did that um a few times in sideshow and and i wish i had done it more often and next to normal but diana definitely Mm. she she kind of possessed me while i was doing her but look who's only one of us is still alive, and guess who That's it is? That's true. <laughs> it's me. So if anybody liked her better, too bad, because it's just me. <laughs> I'm the only one left. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I think that if I ever had the chance to play Diana again, I would, it would be 
I'm not saying it would be a cakewalk, but it would be a lot easier because I'm not, I would be in the process of, of creating her. Mm-hmm. And she hasn't changed since the last time I saw her at all. I have. I have so much more to bring as an actor and a performer and stuff now. So I think, I think it would kind of be like, whoa, I didn't know these jeans were still going to fit. These look great, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and it would be interesting to see how different the character would be because I wouldn't have to do as much mm-hmm. as a choice, right. you know, as a different choice. You could do something else. You could have, have a different effect take over you from the prescription and it's, you're not this way anymore. You're this way. Uh, anybody want to make a movie or do it in London? I do. <laughs> I think it needs to happen. Because those are frontiers we have yet to cross. And you know Definitely. what? I, I think when Next to Normal came out, mental health as a national conversation wasn't where it is now. You know, like, it was such a trailblazer. I think it's just as relevant, if not too. more. Yeah. I, you know, and all respect to everything, but there are, it's not, it's not, I can think of three specific images that are iconic. They're images from Next to Normal. Iconic images is what they are. One of them is the is the white on purple lettering and the world mm-hmm. and the words normal and the word normal. Well, that appeared in a show called the new normal the year after our show was on Broadway and it's purple mm-hmm. background with white lowercase lettering that says the new normal. Yes. And, and in their photos for their TV show, which I think I have two seasons or whatever, the mom is blonde and she's wearing a red dress. Mm-hmm. That's not by accident. Mm-hmm. It might not be conscious, but it was because next to normal just kind of went, this is, this is how you represent this tone. Yeah. And then you go to a show like Jagged Little Pill. Right. And the mom is wearing a pale blue shirt. Actually, the whole couch for that fantastic, amazing scene with the dance that she does. Oh, oh yes. Oh, my God. It's so incredible. Well, that light blue shirt, whether they know it or not, was Diana Goodman's light blue shirt. And mm-hmm. that is the reason why it works. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. But, you know, and that's just my opinion, but uh, it didn't exist before that. Mm-hmm. I know that because people told me so when we were doing it. Because, you know, that was, that was 10 years ago that it, w- that it was on tour. So that was a while ago. And, you know... Back when we did Sideshow, there were no phones and no LED screens. When they did the revival, there was a giant image of the album cover. You know, Emily and I were like, what? What about (laughs) us? I mean, we never had, we like slipped through the cracks. That's my middle name, you guys. (laughs) But whoever's listening to this is the person that actually, you know, like you're super cool because you are actually hearing it. You're, you know, you're in the crack with me, basically. That's, that's all the only place I want to be. Then the fans are in the cracks with me, and you guys are so adorable. This is this is the this is the most fun. I think that maybe you want to turn it into an optional video cast too, because you're both adorable, and I think that the audience should see your faces. Ah. So cute! I'm a proud aunt. I'm your Thanks. aunt Alice for life. Oh, I will Alice. never leave you. <laughs> I will never go away. I always want to take the harmony, and then you can jump on top. <laughs> oh, Alice! I've had dairy. I've had dairy this morning. I couldn't possibly. I mean, don't you? I know. I that's. I you know what? I've jumped back on the cheese train. I was a vegan for three years, and then the quarantine hit, 
and it's not, I'm not going to go any, any further than that, but eggs and cheese I will occasionally have. And I'm telling you, it feels good to tell everybody right now because I feel, I feel like I'm in my, my right place. Like I can't live without, without sandwich with cheese on it every now and then. I hear you. It's too or good. Like, or like, I don't know. I think that's really what it is. Melted cheese on my, on my beans or like a sandwich with a slice of cheese. It's still a veggie sandwich, mm. but I don't know. What do you think? Should oh, we yeah. have a dairy farm and be sustainable to, in order to justify this and make our own, make our own cheese? Listen, we're here in Ohio. You just got to come back and, and we'll do it. Um, you've got, the, you've got the, the farmland out there for cows. I know. Sure. Absolutely. All right. So, Alice, first of all, your live vocals on this podcast, we can pack up and never do another episode again. That made my entire life. Um, <laughs> but we do like to wrap up with a quick dose of drama. And it's sort of just to get something off your chest. If there's anything you, you just oh want to share, gosh. say, I'll go first. Oh, okay. I'll say, I don't know when this episode will air, maybe next week, maybe the week after, but I am eagerly awaiting to know who Joe Biden is going to pick for his VP. There was this accidental tweet sent out by Politico that said it was Kamala Harris. I don't know, but we do know it's going to be a woman. I am just waiting, waiting, waiting. And yeah. I have no predictions because I, I truly am not deep enough in the political pockets, but. Exciting for sure. It is so mm-hmm. exciting. Oh my God. That's a good one, Dylan. I, yeah. my, my dose of drama is I've been doing so much binge watching of TV this summer and surprise, surprise, <laughs> here I am again with another TV show recommendation, but specifically because I have the hugest crush on one of the guys in it. And his name is Garrett McGee and he's on Bravo's Backyard Envy. The concept is three New Yorkers go and they fix up people's backyards in the city and also in the suburbs. And this man, Garrett, he's the plant specialist. He's so hot. He's got like that eighties fire Island mustache, huge muscles. (laughs) And he is just there to help you with all your plant needs. And I am obsessed. So everyone go follow him on Instagram and um, enjoy backyard envy. It's really fun. It's cute. Backyard envy. Do you think they would do my terrace? That's my backyard. Alice, they sell what, and the company, it, that's the name of the show, but their business name is the Manscapers. I want to have like a terrace that's pretty much enclosed with green and then have, you know, like a bamboo on the, on the cement and maybe just uh, one or two pieces of furniture. What do you think? Oh my God, gorgeous. it's gorgeous. But they would have to be plants that I could move inside or that they would, they would be okay outside, like in a planter that isn't going to move. Mm-hmm. Really, not too, not too much of a chance. Especially because you don't know if a hurricane is coming and going to... I know, because right now I just have my bike that I take in and out of, of the, you know, <laughs> inside and put it back outside. So my dose of drama, geez, there's, there's so, I don't even know where to begin. There's so, <laughs> many, so many doses every single moment of drama. Uh, well, I, I have a, I'm going to give a two-sided two-sided card okay, I can't okay. decide. One is to plug a TV show I just started watching last night and it is blowing me away. But I found a lot of good shows on quarantine that I like. This one's called Blood. Oh. So it's easy to remember. And it's an Irish, I want to say Irish, Irish project. Really good. That's all I'm going to say. It's just well, I'm really, sold really immediately. Good. I love um, anything Irish. I can Irish. talk about my favorite like movies and television shows all day. But uh, my daily dose of drama would be um, my cats because my cat Carly, who's sleeping right now, she's adorable. 
think it must have gotten through to her because I laid into her the last time she knocked over my coffee cup. It's a tall, a tall plastic mug with a big handle, you know, like a Mickey mm -hmm. mug. And they'll be just like, you know, I don't know, a half a, a quarter cup of coffee left in the bottom, the part that you didn't get to, and she'll knock it over. And I would have inevitably, I would inevitably be on a Facebook live stream or talking to somebody on the phone <laughs> or something. And so I'll just interrupt myself and go, happening and lay into her. And that was very dramatic. And it, it, ever since the last time it happened, she hasn't done it. So I can't decide if it's because I don't leave those cups sitting around anymore or she just doesn't do it anymore. But that's drama. You wanted drama? That's big drama. <laughs> there you go. Alice, you brought the drama. You brought was it. Was Carly who appeared at the beginning of this recording? She was like a like a tabby color maybe or? Looks <laughs> she wanted it. She's so innocent. <laughs> you know, that's the word for animals. We want to give them malicious yeah. intent intentions, but they're so innocent. They're they're really sweet, especially when they're younger. So I treat them as like Carly named for Carly Simon. Actually, yes. Carly Simon. Oh, wow. Um, but I think I first decided Carly because the legend had it that she, that she was found curled up on top of a car engine. Old junkyard mm. in Brooklyn. Oh. Sounds doable to me. So I'm like, your name's Carly. And then <laughs> yeah. I thought, and your name's Carly because of Carly Simon because we love her. Two little oh, yeah. sisters gazing at the sea. Ah, da, da, de, ah, da, da. Carly Simon song, but Alice, that's I can't not really with this. You're about. amazing. We think about like all of her pop music, but yes, that's my that's my Carly Kitty, and then my other kitty is Susie, Susie Q. Yes, I'm a I'm a crazy cat lady, I guess. Might as well own it. <laughs> no, there's that's they're so cute. Oh my gosh, they're and they're so sisters. Cute. I know. Um, Susie's a, a year older, and Susie came from Ohio. Susie came from Toledo, the oh. Findlay area. Her ear just went like this. Oh, um, yeah. She's a tiger stripe, so she's high, strong, and athletic, and jumps, and she's a real snuggler. Carly's a Carly's Aww. a calico, so she's got longer fur, and she's the happy cat. She's happy all the time. Susie has moods. You know, these cats are just parts of me. You get that, right? Like that's what your animals are. So, yeah. <laughs> animals are are part of the family. Yeah, we they're love the them. best. So they're both due for a vet a vet visit. And luckily, they, they like to go. So I get them all excited for about a week beforehand. Uh, <laughs> that's so cute. Well, Alice. Thanks for letting me talk about my babies, thank you too. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Of this course. was so fun. This will give you a lot to, to work with, and you can cut out all the offensive parts. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. This, we will cut this out This was anything. a dream come true. Um, everyone can follow you at Ripley the Band on Twitter and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And, of course, follow us at The Drama Podcast. Follow me at Connor McDowell and me at Dylan McDowell. And this was one of my favorite memories of the summer. I am so happy about this and we will see you all next time. Bye everybody. Take good care. Don't forget to have drama. Drama. Aww, drama.